so thankful for God's Word. It has encouraged me this week, especially as much with the men's advance. And uh, I'll tell you, it's, it's an amazing book, isn't it? I was talking, I think Brother Wayne or someone was mentioned to me uh, here earlier that just, it's just such an amazing book. It really is. Uh, it all fits together. It all ties together. It all points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. It reveals him to us so we get to know him. And tells us how we can be saved. That's the best part of it. Amen. Amen. And uh, we get an opportunity to trust Christ as our Savior. And certainly a joy uh, to have God's Word in our own language. Many of us have more than one Bible uh, that we own. And um, what a joy it is. And to come to a church and not be afraid of somebody arresting us this morning. There are countries around the world today that don't have that luxury. We got to come today openly and carry a Bible out of our house and get in a car and drive here and sit here and preach. We can even put it over the Internet and on radio or television, or we can advertise that we're having church today, and we don't have to fear about somebody coming and arresting us for it. And I don't know about you, but we often take our freedom for granted in that area. And we ought to be thankful so much that God's given us this great country to be able to worship Him in. And I like the fact that we get to come often. I think there ought to be, uh, in, in a Christian's life, I think there ought to be such joy over being saved and loving God and walking with Him so much that every time there's opportunity, uh, we, we ought not miss it. Uh, it ought to be something that, boy, we're just, we, we can't wait to get there, you know. Uh, I remember as a little kid sitting there, I'd grown up in the, in the pastor's home. I, uh, I started hearing uh, sermons nine months before I was born. I, I, well, uh, whenever my ears were formed, I guess about eight months before I was born, because they piped the sound of the services into the nursery. Can you believe they did that? I mean, that, that was child abuse, wasn't it? And uh, had to sit there and listen to my dad preach. And I remember as a kid, uh, I'd been growing up in Sunday school, and I'd heard all the Bible stories, and I'd heard my dad preach so many times that there wasn't a whole lot new that I hadn't heard him preach on before somewhere along the way. And uh, I remember sitting there as a teenager thinking, boy, when's the service going to be over? And I can't wait to get out there and play or uh, go out and do something with my friends this afternoon. And it just wasn't special to me. But I'm going to tell you, when I got saved, I was 13 years old. When I got saved, God did something in my heart. And I'm not going to tell you that I've always been an on fire and just, you know, revival spirit in my soul but i will tell you this i've always since that time had a desire for the things of the lord there's never been a time that i've ever looked at something and been like oh do i have to do that i look at it and i think man i get to do that i remember times that there were other churches in town that were having camp meetings and i'd be like dad can we go can we go i'd like to i'd like to be a part of it and uh boy i I hope that there's that thrill in our hearts if there's not we ought to take some time and say, God, would you stir my heart again? I need those embers re-stirred a little bit. I need that fire to kind of light up again in my heart. And be excited about the things of God. I, I was asking Brother Tully yesterday that I asked him the question. I said, do you believe that some of the reason that the world is so turned off to the things of the Lord and Christianity in general is because they do not see a difference in the Christians that they know. There's a lot to that. Uh, The world looks at us and they don't see us any happier than they are. Uh, Why would they want that? (laughs) 
But if you get a Christian that's excited about the Lord Jesus Christ, and in their life they're excited about it, they don't mind telling anybody about Him. They love Him so much, they're not embarrassed to talk to people about the Lord. And you get somebody like that, and the world starts looking at them and saying, what is different with them? In Titus chapter 2, the Bible says that, the, that God has separated unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. And folks, we ought to be peculiar. There ought to be something. I, I'm not saying weird peculiar. I'm talking there ought to be something different in a Christian's life. Amen. And we ought to be excited about it. I'm so tired of Christians that look sadder than the world looks. And we're on our way to heaven. What do we have to be sad about? Uh, well, I don't feel so good, Brother Greg. Yeah, but we could have been worse. We could have been lost and not feeling good. We're saved and not feeling good. Amen. That even makes somebody that's hurting to put a smile on their face. And uh, I don't know, we may not get to the message this morning if we do that. I, God, God is good, folks, and I mean this. I, I get so tired sometimes of, uh, even in my own life, I'll catch myself. And uh, the excitement seems to be waning. Oh, help us never to get over the day we got saved. That was, that was a miraculous day, wasn't it? A miraculous day. If you're here this morning, you say, Brother Greg, I don't know that. I, I've never been saved. I've never trusted Christ as my Savior. My hope is today that you would make that decision for the Lord. There's no better time. In fact, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. And we ought not put it off. You don't have the promise of another day. There was a rich man in the Bible that was so excited about all the wealth he had and all the grain that he had. And he said, all my barns are filled to capacity. He said, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to build bigger barns. And God says, Thou fool, knowest not that tonight thy soul shall be required of thee. You don't know that you have another day. And if you're not saved this morning, I would urge you, don't wait. Don't wait. You don't know that you've got another day. If you're a Christian today and you're not excited and sold out and serving the Lord, uh, can I tell you this? You don't, have another, you don't know that you have another day. So don't say, one of these days I'll get back with the Lord the way I ought to be. Do it today. Get excited about the Lord today. Have revival in your heart today. Ask God to stir your heart today. And let Him do something today. And, and then tomorrow, do the same thing. Say, Lord, I need stirring again today. Uh, because I'll be honest with you, and I think most all of you would agree with this. Life is hard. And it's easy to get discouraged even in a Christian life. And we need God daily to stir our hearts. And uh, one of the sessions we had at the Men's Advance dealt with the topic of walking with God. And all the, the need and the urgency that there is that men and women learn. I'm not talking about just to check off your Bible reading schedule. I'm talking about walking with God. Where you spend time on your face and in this book and spending time in God's presence. And I hope that we can do that. Exodus chapter number 32, just by way of quick background, God has delivered the nation of Israel, and he's used a man by the name of Moses. They've been in uh, slavery for many years now uh, in Egypt, and God brings Moses along. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I'm encouraged by Moses. I, I know that he wasn't a perfect man, and there were some things that he did wrong, but there are some things that encourage me about Moses uh, one thing that encourages me is he went to the backside of the desert for a long, long time, didn't he? And kept some sheep, some old stinky sheep. 
And there was nothing special about Moses, nothing spectacular about him. He was just a shepherd, the lowliest of the low, and didn't have a whole lot of talent, didn't have a whole lot of uh, uh, natural skills in the fact that he stuttered a lot and had a lot of uh, issues with uh, his speech and was an introvert and shy. And if you look at Moses based on his character and his life and the way that he is, there's really not a lot extraordinary about him. But the neat thing about it is he was willing to be used of God and God was able to do extraordinary things through him. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me hope that God can use me. And that ought to give you hope that God can use you. You say, Brother Greg, there's nothing special about me. I don't have, I don't, maybe I stammer and stutter. Maybe I don't like getting in front of people and talking. Or maybe I don't have the looks. Or maybe I don't have the personality. Or maybe I don't have this. Or maybe I don't have that. Can I tell you this? God can use you. He's got a plan for your life. And God can use you. He calls Moses. And Moses goes to Pharaoh. And I'm not going to go through the whole story of all the plagues that took place. But ten plagues that took place. And Pharaoh finally said, okay, you can go. They go to the Red Sea, and God miraculously parts the Red Sea. And by the way, there are some Bible scholars out there that will tell you they got to the Red Sea during the dry season, and the water was low, and they waded across. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible says that when he stretched out that rod, that the Red Sea parted. And they walked by on not, not even mushy ground, not even soggy ground. They went by on dry ground. That's amazing. That's a miracle. They come across the Red Sea. They are in the wilderness, and they have already a few hardships. They have some trouble finding out what they're going to eat and finding out what they're going to drink. And God provides miraculously for them. And already, this early in the process, the children of Israel have seen miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, beginning with the plagues, beginning and seeing the Red Sea, seeing <coughs> the uh, Egyptians drown in the sea. At that time, the most powerful force in the world. <coughs> Seeing um, uh, the, uh, the provision, the miraculous provision of food and water. And you would think at this point, having seen with their own eyes what God could do, that this nation of Israel would be having a spirit of revival going on. I'll be honest with you, we, we in our Baptist churches a lot of times go uh, sometimes years and we wonder, will we ever see God's hand at work in a mighty way? Now we see it work at work in our lives. We certainly see it at work in His blessings and His providences to us. But when we start talking about God moving in supernatural ways in a church, there are times that we look about and we say, is God ever going to do anything? And when God begins to do something in a church or God begins to do something supernatural, we seem to get excited about it. And you would think that we would have absolute faith in God, not only that He can do some things, but that He will do them. And Brother Tully talked about that in our men's retreat, about not just trusting that He can or believing that He can, but trusting that He will do it. And we get to this place where Moses is now in the wilderness and God's needing there to be some instructions and some directions for the children of Israel. So he brings Moses up on Mount Sinai and he begins to instruct him. He gives him what we refer to as the Ten Commandments. And then he begins to lay out a lot of instructions regarding the building of the tabernacle. Uh, the tabernacle was the place where God's presence was going to reside with his children. 
It's an amazing thing. The Bible says that when they went through the wilderness that they were led by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It could always be seen. It always gave light to the camp. And that when they built the tabernacle, they put the Ark of the Covenant, which was uh, the area of the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies, and when it was completed and all of it was there, the Shekinah glory of God came and, and hovered over this place and filled the Holy of Holies. And the brightness of God's glory was apparent to the children of Israel. Now, we read about that in Scripture, but could you imagine waking up in the middle of the night and eating a drink of water out in the wilderness and you look towards the tabernacle and there's the glory of God lighting the camp? That's pretty exciting, isn't it? We don't see things like that today. We see a sun or we see a moon. And, but could you imagine God's presence lighting the way? Moses goes up onto the mountain. He's there for a period of time. And I'm going to read the last verse of chapter 31. And I want us to look at that. And then we're going to move into chapter 32. And he gave unto Moses, when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony. uh, tables of stone written with the finger of God. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, little g, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand, and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, little g, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them. And I will make of thee a great nation. Father, we come to you this morning, and I pray that you'll guide and direct our thoughts. Lord, may we learn some truths from this passage that will be a help and a benefit to us, that will cause our hearts to be stirred afresh and anew. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will do a work in a heart that we cannot do. And I pray that as we leave this place, we can say that you have stirred our hearts, that it's been good to have been here this morning. And so, Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit will guide and direct in everything that is said from this point forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We find here a contrast that is taking place as 
Moses gets to the end of communing with God in the end of chapter number 31. And yet, as we get into chapter number 32, the Bible says, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount... And I don't know how much time transpired there. I've read the chapters leading up to this and know what things God was giving to Moses. I cannot help but think that it could all have been given to Moses in simply a day, and yet he was many days upon the mountain. And we find as we get to verse number 32, there's an idea or at least an implication that even though God had completed in giving Moses the things that he wanted Moses to take to the children of Israel, that Moses, so enthralled with being in the presence of God, lingered and stayed in his presence. And by the way, when we get an opportunity to come into God's presence, can I tell you this, that if we're doing it in the right way, there won't be a desire in our hearts to rush right out. There won't be this, this mindset of, well, I've spent my five minutes in prayer. We will get in the presence of God, and it will be so sweet to us, we won't want to leave it. I'm concerned and consumed by this thought so often that many Christians, in the day that we live, because we're in such an instant gratification of a society, that we get in this, this routine of our Christian life and what we call our walk with God, of going into God's presence quickly, and coming out of His presence quickly. And my question and my wondering is often this. Did we ever even make it into the presence of God? Did we ever get to the place where there was that close communing with Him, that what we refer to as walking with God? For there have been times in my life that were so sweet, I didn't even want to get up from my knees. There are times in my life that I've been in men's meetings and, and, and church meetings and, and camp meetings and things where the Spirit of God was so sweet. We didn't want the meetings to end. We didn't want to leave that place because we felt so close to the presence of God. And one of the things that we find about Moses is he longed to be in God's presence. It wasn't something that he was quickly saying, Lord, I, I thank you for your time. I need to go now. And I wonder often in the Christian life if the desire of our hearts is in such a way that we long to be in God's presence all the time. In Psalm 1, the Bible says, In this law shalt thou meditate day and night. The very fact that we want the things of God to be on our hearts and on our minds... In such a way that it consumes us. It consumes our thoughts. It consumes our desires. And and the desire that we have to walk in His presence is so great that we just want it all the time. We we, we have to work, and we have to work from 8 to 5, and we just can't wait. I mean, at 5.01, we're clocking out so we can get home because I want to spend time with God. We get done with supper and I can't wait to get the dishes washed because I want to go spend time with God. I wonder if we have that kind of longing. There are times that we do and then there are times we don't. But Moses, here in verse, uh, chapter number 32 and verse number 1, delayed to come down. He was in this presence of God that was so sweet. And I want you to know that there are times of mountaintop experiences And we get that phrase and that term by seeing so often in Scripture the mountaintop experiences of Moses. Remember when the disciples went up on the Mount of Transfiguration? They saw Jesus glorified. 
They saw Moses and Elijah and the disciples said, it's good that we are here. Let's build three tabernacles and instantly Moses and Elijah vanished because God does not share his glory. Could you imagine seeing Jesus glorified in his earthly ministry with your own eyes? I don't think it'd be a place we would want to rush away from. I think it'd be one of those places we'd just want to build us a tent and set in right there and just stay there. By the way, I think one of the greatest joys of heaven is the fact that we get the eternity to sit at the feet of Jesus. In His presence, that ought to be the joy of our hearts. But down in the valley, there was something else altogether going on. There was a lack of God's presence. There was a group of people that claimed to be His chosen people. There was even a religious leader there, Aaron, with them. But they were down in the valley. And some things began to happen as Moses delayed in coming The people began to get restless. And I want you to notice as we see in verse number 1 something that is said here. It says in the middle of the verse, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt. Who brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt? God did they still did not have their focus in the right place, did they? They were focused more upon Moses and what he brought by way of leadership than they were upon the God of Moses. We find in verse 2 that Aaron says unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives and your sons and of your daughters and bring them unto me. And all of the people break off their golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at the hand of and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made a molten calf. And and they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. I want you to notice a couple of things here very quickly. Aaron, who was to be the spiritual leader of the nation of Israel, is a man who is not certainly in the presence of God in such a way that he has holy boldness about him, and he succumbs to the will of the people. And by the way, we live in a day and age, and the Bible speaks of a day in the end times where people will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. In other words, they're saying these these teachers are constantly searching to find out what is it that the people want. There are seminars that they give today for pastors to come to and to learn how you can survey your people to find out what they want in a church. And and the church then becomes whatever it is that the people want it to become. And in essence, what I see them doing is saying, we want the gods to be part of this church. We want what what we want to be part of this church. And God God is, it's it's okay, you know, he brought us out of Egypt. And and there's there's men of God that have stayed true to God and are preaching the right things. But there are some religious leaders that are going around today and they're listening to the hearts and the minds of people that are in the valley. And they're beginning to make molten calves in our churches. You say, Brother Greg, what are you talking about? Look what verse number 5 says. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron 
made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to... I want you to notice the next two words very, very closely. The Lord. Up until now, all the references of God's have been plural and lowercase. But Aaron, who is trying to save face and trying to appease the people, and yet still try to have a foot in the spirituality of God himself, tries to combine the two. He tries to take the idolatry of God's people and the molten image that he was responsible for putting together and orchestrating and getting it all together. And he tries to then say, let's, let's bless this thing. We're going to make an altar. And the altar tomorrow we're going to sacrifice to the Lord. And it allows him among his peers to save face. Knowing the wrong that he's already done. And by the way, we're living in a world like that today, aren't we? In verse number 6, the Bible says, And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat drink, and to drink and rose up to play. And I want you to notice what God says here. God is so angry at what the people of Israel have just done. He says in verse number 7, And the Lord said unto Moses... Go get thee down for, what's the next word? What is it? Thy. Thy people, Moses. Which, what's the next word? Thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt. Have corrupted themselves. Who brought them out of Egypt? God did. But God is so angry at this point, he doesn't even want to claim them. Parents sometimes know what we're talking about. Your kids sometimes will frustrate you so much you just almost want to say, I don't even want to claim them as my kids right now. They're still mine, but I'm going to tell you what, I'm not happy with them. And that's where God was. He said, Moses, thy people. Whose people were they? They were God's people. He said, Moses, thy people. The people that you led out of, the, out of Egypt. Look what he says here. They have turned aside, and I want you to notice this next word, and this is what so caused God to be so angry with it. In verse number 8, They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I command them. Boy, I'll tell you what, that's a problem today, isn't it? I remember as a teenager, there were times we had youth rallies and conferences and chapel services, and I would come to the altar, and boy, there were times God stirred my heart. And I would come to an altar and I'd say, Lord, I want you to have all of my life. I want you to have everything there is. I don't want there to be anything that I hold back from you. And I would really sincerely mean it at that moment in time. And I would get up and go back to my seat. And over a period of time, that decision began to get lost in the back part of my thoughts. And it wasn't long before all of a sudden I had full control of my life back again. And I had departed quickly. How often do we do that in our lives? How often do we try? Our intent is right. Paul said it this way, The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This nation of Israel who had seen the ten plagues, 
who had walked across the Red Sea on dry ground, who had had food miraculously given to them, who had seen the water that God provided. They had seen the cloud over Mount Sinai as God spoke to Moses and told him to come up. God gets angry in verse number 8 because he says they have turned aside quickly out of the way. You say, Brother Greg, I would never do that. You remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane? And he takes three of his disciples that were dearest to him, Peter, James, and John. And he takes them a little further in the garden with him. And he says, watch and wait. And he goes a little further to pray by himself. And he comes back and he finds them sleeping. He wakes them up and he goes again to pray. And he comes back and he finds them sleeping again. And he makes this statement, what? Could you not watch one hour? How quickly, as well-intentioned sometimes as we are, how quickly that desire for God and the things of God seems to wane. God gets angry in verse number 8 and He says, They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto. And said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I want you to see what God says to him here. I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. By using this phrase, stiff-necked people, he's referring to the fact that they are rebellious, they're continuing to buck against the pricks, they're continuing to go against what I say, and they just continually do it. You would think after all those years of slavery that the people of Israel would have learned to trust God. In verse number 10, he says, Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them. And I will make of thee, speaking of Moses, a great nation. I want to pause right there for a minute. And here's the message. There are times that this world is in need of some Christians that know what it is to come down off the mountain and do a work for God. I love the mountaintop experiences. I love lingering in the presence of God. But there does come a time when we've got to say, I've got to now go out and do the work that God has given for me to do. And Moses is told by God in verse number 11, the Bible says, And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? I want you to notice who Moses gives it credit for bringing out of Israel, or for bringing out of Egypt. He said, Lord, I want you to stop for a minute and think. It's not my people. It's not what I did. Lord, you did this. You brought them out. In verse number 7, he tells Moses, he says, I want you to go and get thee down for thy people. And the message this morning is this. It's time for God's people to go down off the mountain for their people. 
There's a world that's out here that is in the valley. A lot of darkness out there. And they're in need of some light. In order for us to do something for God, there's three things that we find here in this chapter that Moses did that allowed him to be able to be a help to these people. First of all, he had spent time on the mountain with God. There's not one of us that will ever be able to do the work God's given us to do if we have not first spent time with Him. If there has not first been a close walk with Him. Moses knew what it was to be in God's presence, to linger in God's presence. But having been upon the mountain and spending time in God's presence, I want you to know that secondly, Moses had a burden for the people. In verse number 9 and 10, God is ready to get rid of the nation of Israel. And God could do it, couldn't He? God could speak and the nation would have been wiped out. God God has already done some things in the past to judge people. He continues to do things in the future of this passage, from this passage, to judge people. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? Whole cities that were destroyed. And God comes in verses 9 and 10 and He says unto Moses, He says, Let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them that I may consume them. And I want you to notice what Moses does. Because the truth of the matter is, the the, the direction our world is in today, I believe, it's got to be something that causes such anger and hurt and disgust in the eyes of God. And I'm sure there are times that he's wanting to step forth and say, let's just end it all, we're done with it. But Moses, in verse number 11, besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? And he says, he does this, Moses comes and he stands before God, in front of God, between him and the children of Israel. And he says, wait a minute, God. Stop, wait a minute. They're your children. And they need your help. And they need my help. God was ready to get rid of them. But Moses had compassion on them. And Moses stands between the wrath of God and the judgment of the nation of Israel. And he says, God, wait. Think about what you're getting ready to do. And I believe that has it not been for a remnant of people in this world that continue to have a passion and a heart for those that are lost, God would have long ago gotten rid of this place. And there needs to be a revival of people that will have a burden for the lost. To stand before God and say, God, I know you're coming. I know that you're going to bring wrath on this world. But wait, wait just a little while. Give us opportunity. Give us a moment to try to get it right. You remember when God came to Abraham and told Abraham about the vileness of Sodom and Gomorrah and his nephew Lot was down there? And Abraham comes to God. 
He says, per adventure we can find 60 righteous. And then 50, and then 40, and 30, and 20, and 10. What was Abraham doing? He was standing before God's wrath and between his nephew and God's wrath and the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and saying, God, wait. We're in a need today for some people to be on the mountain in the presence of God. We're in need today for those same people to have a burden for those that are in the valley. And then I want you to notice thirdly that Moses had a great boldness. We come down through this and the Bible says in verse number 12, let's start in verse number 15, And Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and the two tables of the testimony were in his hand, and the tables were written on both of their sides. One on the one, on the one side and on the other they were written. And the tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, graven upon the tables. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. And he said, It is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome. But the noise of them that sing do I hear. It came to pass as soon as he came nigh unto the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger waxed hot and he cast the tables out of his hands and brake them beneath the mount. He took the calf which they had made and burnt it in the fire and ground it to powder and strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel drink of it. Moses said unto Aaron, What did these people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? Well, there's a bunch of religious leaders today. Some of them standing in pulpits of buildings with throngs of people this morning that are bringing a great sin upon the people. They're trying to mix the world and God. They're trying to appeal to the flesh nature of the people. Trying to make them feel good about their sin. I want you to notice that Moses comes to Aaron. He calls him out for it. He says, Aaron, what have you done? Look what Aaron says in verse 22. And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. That sounds kind of like Adam in the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? Trying to get by with what he had done wrong. For they said unto me, Make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this, Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. And I said unto them, Whosoever hath any gold, let him break it off. So they gave it me. Then I cast it into the fire. And there came out this calf. As sad as the situation is here, I find this verse humorous. Because you can almost picture Aaron like a little kid standing before his mother having been caught with chocolate 
all over his face after being told not to eat the freshly baked chocolate chip cookies, saying, Mom, they just jumped off the counter and fell on my face. He said, I took the gold, I threw it into the fire, and lo and behold, a calf jumped out. Ridiculous. And we look at that and we think, boy, that's, that's crazy that Aaron would say that. But how many of these false prophets that are going around today try to justify what they're doing? And it's just as ridiculous. Verse number 25, And when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked under their shame among the enemies, then Moses, and I want you to notice this phrase, stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. I love this phrase. Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come to me. Can I tell you this? That when people begin to get right with God, it's more than a decision. There has to be a movement. I don't know how many times I came to an altar and I made a decision for God. And I've told young people this over and over and over again. It is easy to make a decision for God. But it is very hard to live it. It's easy to commit our lives and say, Lord, I want to yield my heart to you. I want to walk in your presence. I want to spend that time on the mountaintop with you. I want to walk with you. It's easy to say those things. It's easy in our hearts to mean them sincerely. It's easy for our hearts to be stirred when we sit in a place like this and hear the Word of God stick in our hearts and the Spirit of God begin to stir the embers and it is easy to come and to make a decision for God. But we're going to walk out those doors in a little bit. And it's going to get real hard real quick. Moses stands in the gate of the camp and he doesn't say who is on the Lord's side. Just raise your hand. He doesn't say whoever's on the Lord's side, let me know. I'll, I'll, come, I'll come talk with you for a little bit. He stands where he's at. And he says, I want to know who's on the Lord's side. And if you're that way, I want you to come and stand right here. Talk about putting somebody on the spot. Wives looking at their husbands, wondering if they're going to walk up there. They had just been dancing around this golden calf. Children looking at their friends. Teenagers looking at their friends and wondering, is my friend going to go? Moses is not making this easy, is he? Moses is not making this just a silent prayer that's said in the seat at the invitation time. Moses is saying, if, if you're for the Lord, I want you to come here. In front of God and everybody front of all these people, in front of your family, in front of your friends. By the way, I believe this, that when we make a decision for a God that's of that significance, I think we ought to let people know about it. It gives accountability. He tells them in verse number 26 that Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves to gather unto him, and he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, 
put every man his sword by his side, and go in and out from gate to gate throughout the camp, and slay every man his brother, and every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And there fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. Boldness. Our world is in desperate need for some men and some women of God to spend time on the mountain with God. To be burdened for the people. And then to have a boldness to go do the work that God's given them to do. Not embarrassed, not shy about it. God's intent was to live among His people. The camp was to be set up in such a way that the tabernacle was the center of the camp with three tribes on each side of the tabernacle. Shortly after this takes place, we find in verse number 1 of chapter number 33, And the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swear unto Abraham and Isaac, to Isaac and to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it. And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, and the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. And while God's anger and God's wrath had been appeased, he decided not to live in the midst of his people. And when the people heard these evil tidings, they mourned. And no man did put on him his ornaments. For the Lord had said unto Moses, Say unto the children of Israel, Ye are stiff-necked people. I will come up into the midst of thee in a moment and consume thee. Therefore now put off thy ornaments from thee, that I may know what to do unto thee. The children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by the mount of Horeb. Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp. sad commentary we live in a day where there are a lot of sincere people religious folks that go to churches they go to meetings if you will where God's presence ought to be and God has had them pitch the tabernacle outside of the camp Because they're stiff-necked people. The message today is this. Our world is in need of some Christians that will come down off the mountain and will do the work that God has for them to do. We must spend time with Him. We must have a burden for the people. And we must have a boldness. God can use us to do a work. Perhaps we can buy a little more time to see more people saved.
before it's eternally too late. Do we understand the concept of eternity? Do we fully understand the penalty that is going to be paid by those that are lost? And not for a period of time, folks, but for eternity. There's great work to be done. We, we seem to get too busy, don't we? Too distracted with other things. We lose the heart. We, we, we can't even come. We can't even come when God's doing something. We can't even be faithful to Him. We've got other things involving our life. I wonder if we can ever get to a place. I asked Brother Tully this week. We were sitting, I think it was yesterday morning, around the table. I asked him, I said, I wonder what it would be like if we could get an entire church for one whole week to put away all distractions. Put the TV away. Put the cell phones away. Put the computers away. Put the events that we were going to go to for leisure that week away. Get on our faces before God for a week. Spend time on the mountain. I said, I wonder what that would do for a church. And Brother Tully said this, the problem is getting all of them to do it. I wonder what God could do. Somebody told D.L. Moody years ago before he was able to be well known, they said, the world has yet to see what a man fully yielded to God can do. And that thought, pierced him so so much that as he thought and prayed on it, he got alone with God one day and he said, by the grace of God, I will be that man. And God used him to shake two continents for him. I'm not talking about just in a church. I'm talking about whole nations and continents. But we stand here in 2018 or sit here in 2018 and can I tell you this? That as great as God used D.L. Moody and Charles Spurgeon and Charles Finney, some of these great men, can I tell you with confidence this morning that the world has yet to see what a man or a woman fully yielded to God can do. I wonder if there would be some Christians that would say, by the grace of God, I'll be that man or I'll be that woman. I wonder if there'd be some teenagers, young people that would say, I'll I'll be that person. I'll fully yield myself to him. I wonder what God could do with a person that was fully yielded to him. I wonder what he could do with the whole church that was that way. Wouldn't that be exciting to watch? That'd be a pretty amazing thing, wouldn't it? See God do something with the church fully yielded to Him.
Let's stand together. Father, we're thankful for your word. I pray that you'll bless it and use it. Lord, there's more perhaps even to say yet on the subject, but Father, I pray that we've done justice to the truth this morning, and I pray that your Holy Spirit will do his work. Lord, we love the mountaintops, but there are people in the valley, and they're very much in need. It's very dark down there, and they need light. I pray that you would help us take that light to them. Father, use us to reach this world. I pray that you'd help us to have a burden for the lost. I pray that you'd help us to have boldness. I pray that you'd help us to spend time with you. We would yield ourselves, and Father, that we would be able to say that our will is surrendered to you. And Father, that we would commit ourselves. We didn't deal with the subject, but in that chapter it deals with consecration. And the people of Israel that were left over how they made things right with you and they consecrated themselves to you. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be a church of folks who consecrate ourselves to you. We set ourselves apart and we give ourselves to you. Father, bless the message this morning. And Lord, if there's someone here that's not saved, I pray that you would help them to come and let us use your word to show them how they can be saved. Father, for Christians that are here today, Lord, there may be some that our hearts have grown cold. We've been sitting on the mountaintop in your presence, perhaps, but we've not had a burden for the lost. We're unaware of those in the valley. Perhaps we're in need of some boldness this morning to be able to accomplish and to do your work. Father, whatever the need is, I pray that you'd help us to respond appropriately, that your Holy Spirit will do his work in our hearts as he sees fit. In Jesus' name we pray. 